you want to check us out on all of our social media platforms, on Twitter at Tinfoil Hat Cast, on Instagram at Tinfoil Hat Pod, or all comedy t shirts.com, email us at Tinfoil Hat Pod at gmail.com. Foil Hat, Foil Hat. Global controls will have to be imposed, and a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We, 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 we go deep, homeboy. <laughs> Yes, and welcome to another episode of Tinfoil Hat. Joining me as always, my partner in crime, Off the Grid. Hey, how are you, bud? Living, loving, man. Yeah, a lot of amazing things coming on in this world. Guys, September 5th is the big show at the Belly Room in the Comedy Store. It is the Tinfoil Hat Comedy Night with the usual suspects. That's right. Uh, Eddie Bravo will be joining us. Theo Vaughn and uh, Off the Grid will be there. And guess what, everybody? Answering your questions is A.A. Ron, everybody. Yes, his name is spelled wrong there. We'll fix that later. Uh, there's probably less than 40 tickets left for this show. Grab it now. Uh, that's going to be a big-ass show. And then uh, September 14th and 15th, we are live at the Corner Comedy Club in Niagara Falls, Canada. Myself, Eddie Bravo, motherfucker over here got felony, can't make it. They're just holding you back. It's fucking ridiculous. You get a DUI and you can't go to Canada where everybody's drunk driving all the fucking time. Makes no sense. So go to the cornercomedyclub.com. Grab those tickets. They're already selling. And then if you guys haven't checked out last week's episode on the Patreon, it is an amazing episode. Mary Rose comes on and basically breaks down how her father started uh, a charity for basically priests who've been uh, accused of pedophilia, and it pretty much just was a child sex trafficking organization. Allegedly, it's she dark. comes on, drops some hammer, and it's an amazing episode, and I rock as an interviewer. All right. <laughs> Very excited to have our guest in the show. You didn't start the show, dude. You didn't hit the big thing. Um <laughs> Very excited to have our guest on the show. Uh, he did my old naughty show very uh, back in the day, and then I think he came on Punch Drunk before, but he's done my shows before, and I'm super happy to have him on. He is the guy who started Gas Digital with Luis Gomez. He's got a great podcast called SDR. Please welcome Ralph Sutton, everybody. Oh, thank you so much for having me, gentlemen. You are a wonderful person. You are a giant, gentle I a giant. giant. I am a gentle giant. You I'm really a, are. I'm a very, very large man. 6'6". Six, and but I, I based on just your energy, you seem to be like uh, in a good place. Maybe yeah, I think I, it's weird because I work with all these comedians who are definitely not in good places. Right. Yes. And I think I provide try to provide the gentle energy to keep them focused. You're, you're basically the calm in the storm. You're the lighthouse yeah. in the chaos. That's what I am, and uh, makes me very happy. And also makes me happy that Ryan's sporting the SDR colors. He's, big time. Ryan's dude. a big fan. We oh, were cool. able to get. It was nice enough that the people at Skank Fest were nice enough not only to ask us to do tinfoil hat at the last second because somebody had canceled so so they're like yeah come out and do it and then they didn't even know ryan like i guess they didn't know i had a co-host but we got you out there and then they were nice enough afterwards because the festival is such a giant success that they uh paid for your flight and everything which was very cool i love skank fest man i want to move to brooklyn it, <laughs> it is and it just gets bigger every time you go there 
Uh, and your your basically podcasting uh, studios just growing. Yeah, growing, we just growing. opened our studios in New York two months ago. And now we're opening a location out here. That's why I'm here for this week. We're opening a location out here. Now, where's the location going to be? Uh, you, you know what? To be, in, in the interest of full disclosure, the one in New York is our studio. We built it from scratch. It, we literally had a, a white box space, as they call it, and no walls, no nothing. We made it our own mm. out here because we just signed um, Andrew Dice Clay to the Congrats. network. Uh, nice. D. Snyder from uh, Twisted Sister Love Network. It. And then already uh, Michael Bisbing's out here and Lisa Ann is out here. So we decided it would make sense to have a studio here. So we're literally just leasing a space and slapping up some guest digital logos because it's not a full-time hour space. Right. And, yeah. and it will grow, man. Yeah. It will grow. I you... couldn't even tell you where it is right now, to be honest. That's great. Yeah. I don't know why I think Koreatown. I'm just throwing that <laughs> out. I could be completely it's wrong. It's somewhere that was convenient for Dice because he told me the neighborhood he wanted to be in. We put it out through the guest digital people. Does anyone have a studio space? And we found someone that was it was convenient for Dice and that made sense. We'll go there. I What's uh, it, Dice's podcast called? Uh, I named it, which I'm very happy about. And I also named D's show. Um, Dice, I said, look, because he had a few ideas. And I said, look, dude, you were the king of uh, comedy. You were in movies. You've done all these different things. And now you're podcasting. Let's call it I'm Over Here Now. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we're calling it. That's great. Yeah. And who is on it? Is it uh, just him right now? Just him. He hasn't started yet. We're literally, first episode is Wednesday. I wonder if he's going to have Eleanor on a lot. Well, Sam, you're the- at the comedy store when Dice used to roll around and he was like filming a nonstop documentary, right? Uh, I was blessed to uh, call Dice as a friend. That wasn't the case early on. <laughs> we bumped a lot of heads. But uh, one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life, and this was probably about three years into getting picked up at the comedy store. So this is probably about 2003. It was New Year's Eve, and I got to see Dice do the uh, nursery rhymes. Oh, shit. And I've always said this about Dice. Dice is a crusher. We always have discussions on this because there'll always be a, a, a top 100 comics. And for some reason, Dice always ends up in the 90s or the 80s. And then you see who they put over him. And you're like, this is such a crock of bullshit. <laughs> like, Dice is a destroyer. Now, I'm going to be honest. I like when Dice does less sexual shit. Not they shouldn't. It just, we all know at a certain age, you're not fucking that much. Like, you know? Speak for yourself. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's true. Depends. depends. Everyone's everyone's wired differently. Right. Okay. I'll give you that. But when he does stuff on like 7-Eleven, it murders so hard. It murders so hard. He is a killer. And anybody who doesn't think he's a good writer or anything like that, there's got to be some jealousy or some stupidity there. I don't think he gets the amount of respect that he deserves as a guy who is basically a Bill Burr, a Dane Cook, before there was the internet, selling out giant arenas that very few have done since. I mean, who's who's an arena? Think about how big Rogan is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never seen him Chappelle do an arena. Is, I think maybe he did that Chappelle, once. Chappelle, right? Kevin, Steve, Hart Steve does Martin a lot. did it, but that's before him, you know. But he was the first to sell at Madison Square Garden as a comic. Yeah, I believe, and it's unbelievable. And it's like, dude, the guy's a driven dude, a hard worker, and a great business guy. And that's a very rare combination. Yeah. And he's a trendsetter, man. He was walking the fanny pack way before Rogan. I've dude. always loved Rogan. I mean, I've always loved Dice. I like Rogan too. And he also yeah. said, by the way, with, with the uh, on the topic of the sex thing that because he, he was just on my show a few weeks ago, how growing he talking about being in a room with Kinnison and 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 all these other legends in the room together. Everyone's doing coke. Everyone's doing whatever. His only drug was pussy. He, yeah. that's all he ever cared about. So I think that's why it permeates. 
his comedy so much is that it is and it's I, his brand that's all he cares about too like we, while we were talking like there was he was telling me about girls he met at the at, at the uh the barbecue that i met him at and girls numbers he gets i i him and i've hit on the same girl more than once and he's dice can do whatever dice wants to do i'm yeah. not i i wasn't making anything i'm just saying when it's not sex it's I just go. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. He's fucking dice. Well, since we're talking about sex, let's do a lightning round of first. Okay. So uh, break it down, Ralph. Since, All right. Yeah. You know. on, on the SDR show every single week, we end with the question: Your first experience with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Okay. And what we mean by that is, with sex, we put in the caveat of consensual sex because we have a lot of porn stars on, so we have to say consensual intercourse with drugs. <laughs> Why would I laugh at that? Uh, I think I know what you're talking uh, about. With, with drugs. We uh, mean anything other than pot, unless pot's the worst drug you ever did. Yeah. And with rock and roll, we mean the first big concert you went to yeah. that people are going to know, yeah. not your friend's band. And we start with concert. We work our way back. Uh, my first concert I ever went to was, um, I think it was Cinderella. Wow. Ooh. Really? Yeah. Way back in the day. That's Broom a great one. County Arena, Binghamton, New York. And uh, we used to go to Broome County all the time. I used to love it. I saw uh, I saw Motley Crue there, and it was a blessing that Vince Neil got into the middle of the crowd, started fighting people. <laughs> I'm like, this is awesome. Dude. Are you an '80s rock dude? I, well, you know, Aretha Franklin just passed, and I, I grew up on Motown. Okay, but then my friends were all into rock, and I kind of got into rock as well. And then my first album I ever bought. Uh, was Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction, and L.A. Guns. And I bought L.A. Guns just because they had guns in it. And I was like, okay, they're probably Did you similar. know the association? I didn't Oh, at that's the time. hilarious. That's so really that was funny. the first album I ever bought was basically uh, Appetite for Destruction. Dude. Me, uh, Inglewood Form, uh, Wild Mood Swings Tour, The Cure, 1996. That's also a really cool one. Those are both cool ones. That's are you a Cure guy? I love The Cure. I mean, I would say that I've never seen them live. I'm not, like, obsessed with them as a band, but I... All that era, the, the Cure, New Order, De, uh, you know, all those, uh, Depeche Mode, Joy Division, all that stuff I truly appreciate and enjoy. But my, I'm an 80s rock guy. Of I, For 20 years, I had a nationally syndicated 80s rock show with Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, all those guys. I know them very well from doing that for 20 years. So what was yours, Ralph? Mine was, uh, it's funny, it was Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, yeah. Air Supply was the second one. And the third one was... Um, Beastie Boys run DMC, so I'm yeah. sure I'm the only one that went to all three of those shows. That's great, though, <laughs> yeah. dude. Yeah, it's very weird. That's great. Yeah, it's very odd for us three. Uh, when you hear about Guns N' Roses and all the money they're making, it just, I go, why didn't you do this earlier? Like, why didn't you guys, tour? you guys could be making this for, they literally never have to write another album. Never, never. And they just tore off of Appetite for Destruction, and I could listen to that every time they come through. It bothers me, though, as a purist, that Izzy's not in the band, because Izzy never wanted to be super famous. That was the problem. He wrote Appetite for the most part, and he still puts out weird, like, just regular punky rock music that doesn't really go anywhere. He just wants the anonymity of being a regular rock dude. Is rock dead? Because oh, I yeah. think when you leave L.A., and you're out of New York, so it might be... But I still like there's still giant rock concerts like in Vegas, Florida, Texas. For people our age and older, mm. I don't know how old you guys, I'm older than both of you, but that age group, 35 and older, sure. But it is, look, I'm sure at one point someone was saying, is Big Band dead? Yeah. But, and if now you're like, <laughs> of course it is. You know what? Rock is there now. Rock is the old man music. It's not current. There is no, there are a few young bands 
that do well, like the one, I don't know if you know Greta Van Fleet? No. They, yes. They sound like Led Zeppelin. It's yeah. amazing. The only reason why they're doing well is because they sound exactly like Led Zeppelin. So old people like them. That's why they're doing well. And, and well, yeah, I get, you know who's keeping rock alive? Fucking Mexicans, doc. Dude, you go to a rock concert, especially, in, I mean, you could be like, it's Southern California. But, dude, the only hot chicks at a rock concert are hot Mexican girls. They love fucking rock, dude. In Europe, too. It's very big. And you're big in Sweden. Yeah, yeah. Europe's big, too. Yeah, Sweden is huge. Sweden rock is enormous right now. Yeah, but they like it. They, they've been into that death metal shit. They go shit. very death. But they also Turbo Negro. You yeah. ever watch them? I've never seen oh, that, no. There's a lot. There's Swedish pirate metal. It's really good. They look like the village people on crystal meth. Like, they <laughs> just smoke meth and got super gay and just rock. Well, I know your show's called Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, but it doesn't seem that you're very... Uh, you don't have a lot of experience with drugs. I, I hear don't. about you guys doing stuff live on air. Yeah, so I have tried various drugs on the show because I have no experience with drugs. So I've done Molly on the show. I've, I've done mushrooms on the show. And I've done edibles on the show. But I've never done them anywhere else. You know, Hold just, on. Do you, do you run the board? No. We have a producer. <laughs> yeah, <guess>. but the <laughs> dumb thing was, uh, like, when I, we did mushrooms, all I know is that I was drooling. I don't remember what happened exactly. I didn't watch it back. Uh, the Molly episode, the first time, I'm pretty sure we all did crystal meth because we did not have that Molly reaction. We were just up and pacing till 8 in the morning. Jaw oh, grinding? Yeah. No, 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 no. If it yeah, was yeah, crystal meth, you'd be pacing till like three days later. Yeah, I still went. I didn't sleep for two days. Yeah, yeah okay. It might have been meth. That's definitely yeah. not. That's a big problem when people are buying Coke now. Yeah. They're actually getting crystal meth and it they're staying crazy. up. It was like, crazy. So I, when are you guys going to smoke DMT on yeah, the show? Yeah, we've talked about what the next drug's going to be. I don't know. Like, I've never done cocaine. I thought we should try it, but Jay doesn't want to do the coke. Then we were talking Big about... Jay well, doesn't want to do coke? He doesn't want to do coke. We were talking about boofing cocaine with each other. So we may shove it up each other's asses oh, that's in an embrace, because I think that's funny. <laughs> but we just did, like, uh, on a... We had a, our, our uh, assholes milked, prostate's milk. See, this what? is why I brought him on. I'm trying to bring us closer together, Sam. <laughs> and I know Ralph and Jay, they get real, oh, real we close. Did. We were in an embrace on my bed mm-hmm. with our pants down around our ankles while two dominatrix tried to milk our prostates. We know dominatrix. See, I love that shit, dude. I tried to do all that stuff, and it, I don't know if it's because it's West Coast. Like, I used to do a naughty show, and it was such a great show, man. And just it could not get any traction. So what was the drug other than pot that you did for the first time, Sam? I mean, like, uh, I remember when I smoked pot. I'll just quick story. They well, told me it was oregano. Huh. And, and oregano. it was weed. And Were I you just, seven? Why would you believe that? Because I, I was really young, dude. And I, it's upstate New York. Super naive. Okay. Um, I didn't do coke until college. And there's not a really big story on that. I did meth once. Because once, I mean, later on, I, I did it a couple more times, but uh, <laughs> one of the times, yeah, one of the time. But the first time I ever did crystal, it was with this fucking I had a threesome with two of the most gorgeous women I've ever met in my life. It was a stripper and a, her model friend. And I, it was they were so hot. I had to call friends back home and tell them what was going on. That's <laughs> While it was happening? Just before. They're okay. like, okay, we're going to get ready. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, <laughs> dude, I'm about to bang a model and a stripper. And I, I was so excited about that. Then I also uh, got my feet licked by like two 350-pound chicks. They just wanted to lick my feet. Is this the like, same no. night? No, this is a oh, different okay. Vegas was great. It was the early 90s. It was wild, dude. Um, but my favorite drug story early is uh, I did acid and went to like Lollapalooza 1 or 2. And it was literally 
the greatest lineup I've ever seen. It, it was the Red Hot Chili Pepper lineup mm-hmm. that had Pearl Jam had just started to blow up, Soundgarden, wow. Ice Cube, and I forget who else. But it was and those we first it. three or four Lollapaloozas were a great lineup. So yeah, They're really a lot amazing. like um, uh, uh, comics. Uh, last comic standing. When you look at like the early shows, they were all underground murderers, right? And then they just started casting. It's like here's an uh, African American, here's a chick, here's a gay, and I just went to shit. But the early Early ones when it was just a destroyer. Do you remember when music went to shit? Do you do you have a moment where you're like, oh, this is not good? Well, so I was running rock clubs in New York City uh, for a long time, and in ninety ninety one, I was running Limelight, which was the big rock Sunday nights called Rock and Roll Church. And when I got an advance of Nirvana, the uh, second record, you know, the one that uh, in utero, not in utero, the one, you know, the big one. I, uh, What's yep, the name of Never mind. Never mind. Sorry, I don't want my brain's not working right That's now. That's fine. And I heard the first single of Smells Like Teen Spirit. I was called my partner and said, This is change this is gonna change everything. Things are gonna be very different. And within six months, I was working four nights a week as a rock club promoter DJ, all of them closed within six months. It was yeah. crazy because it went from Guns N' Roses Cinderella party, drugs, women, just have fun to stare at your shoes, be miserable, yeah. and hate life, and you don't go to a nightclub to do that. You stay home. Yeah. And it, it changed my whole career path. And, dude, that stuff is all systematically done, dude. It's done on purpose. It's the gatekeepers don't allow... Su- you see it in comedy now. It's like Netflix, if you're an unknown white straight guy, they're not going to put your special on. They've I, said it over and over again. I'm re- trying to release a book about the first. So we have... A hundred and two hundred great answers to first the, first the three firsts with major celebrities, you know, and we have them all signed releases that we can use their stuff in other forms. Yeah. So I have this book written already, and literally the right the the guy came back and said, you know, this guy I looked him up. He's white and he's like a regular white dude. We're just not looking for that right now. It wasn't anything about the content. They just didn't want it to be a white guy that was putting out the book. And that is. And the truth of the matter is, is that that guy most likely doesn't think that it's yeah, his told boss has yeah, told that it's all trickled down. You know, when you see a, an entire industry have this feeling, it's because everybody's owned by the same people, and it's all being done as social engineering. And this is how real. I got my job. I mean, you were like, <laughs> I could get a, a woman with big breasts, a person of color, or a ginger, and you chose the third. So. Uh, for sure, dude. <laughs> but the beauty did. of this is that the internet now is allowing people... I'm, podcasting started because white guys... There are too many white guys in Hollywood, and there was an opportunity for all of them, so they had to create a way to get people to listen to them, so they started doing podcasting. And now you're starting to see with these... Everybody's shooting specials, these people aren't grabbing. They're starting to put them out themselves, and that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and we did a Dave Smith special. We did Libertas that went yeah. to number one. We produced it. We just did it on our own. Yeah, the sign. There's there's signs that things are changing. When I saw that Comedy Central's putting out like the little like 25 minute bonfires, I'm like, uh oh, they're trying to get in this podcast game. Yeah, they're well, trying they to get into the game. I think Comedy Central New York is much better than Comedy Central LA. Completely. I mean, you made. Cruise is cool again. I know we were talking about it a bit before the mics turned right. on. How did that even come about? Well, I, I'd love to take 100% credit for it, but uh, you know, it wasn't me exactly, but I was working with the company. The guy originally was Mo- uh, Vince Neal's manager, okay. right? And the first two were called The Motley Cruise, and it was just Vince Neal, oh. uh, and it was half a boat. 
Okay, because they didn't to take out a whole boat. You need a million dollar line of credit, and it's a whole different animal. Oh to, my god! You know, god. it's crazy, and, and and also it's very hard to make money. But re- regardless, um, I was supposed to host the first one with them the day of the cruise. I was getting ready to leave. My grandfather passed away, and I oh, didn't go. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all right. It happens. You know, he was ninety two. Yeah, and it, it was, happens. And it was ten years ago. But yeah. <laughs> so then we we they morphed it into they couldn't use the name anymore because Nikki Six said. He would sue if you kept it called uh, the Motley Cruz because he owns the name Nikki Six. Classic. And he then, owns Motley Crew. He owns Motley Crew. Yeah. And oh Vince Neil, God. by the way, uh, which I mean, they're not together anymore, so it doesn't matter. But he left the band in the '90s, right? And when they brought him back, they brought him back as an employee. He was never a member of the band again. They couldn't just leave off the umlauts over yeah. the. And then they would continue. <laughs> yeah. Around. So he was he was always uh, morbid. Oh my God. He was God. always so angry about that because. But he left. He thought, "I'm Vince Neil." I'm the king of the world. Anyway, so <laughs> Molly Crew at a very young age, is there any better band? Like when better. they blow up, nothing like better. 19 years old, owning the lot. So LA. much attitude and punk. It's like it's, no it's, AIDS, it's, yeah, dude. You could just raw dog anybody, yeah. and nobody gives a fuck. That was crazy. That must have been just to be uh, with them for a week back then. Probably is all you've ever needed in life. I mean, the fact that they're all still alive is it's crazy. Is crazy. But um, they started out as half a ship. Then on the third ship rocked, they said, let's try and take the whole ship. And I've been, ho- I've been fortunate to be hosting it for 10 years. Damn. And we've been building and building. This is the 10th one in January. And what's crazy is it sold out when, last, when this, year, this January's boat docked. It sold out for next year, Shit. which is crazy. And it they went all on. just bought two. Everyone's yeah. like, fuck it. I got to come back on this thing. That's great. And it, does, they don't even, it sells out now before the lineup gets announced. Because everyone's like, I just don't give a shit. I want to be on that boat again. What are the bands that have been playing it lately? Oh, well, this one that just got announced. It's uh, Papa Roach is uh, Ooh, there. nice. Bullet for My Valentine, Seven Dust, um, Suicidal Tendencies, Skind- oh. Skindred. Uh, it's a really good lineup. It's a really Dang. fun lineup. Suey. Yeah. Well, you're the guy to talk to because we've been talking about doing a conspiracy convention. But I think we need to do a conspiracy, S-E-A. Or a fringe float. I'm so not against that. If you guys are out there, send us emails, man. We'll get a boat filled with a bunch of crazy. Could be people. just uh, us on a fucking rowboat. I will tell you this: happen. it is a little tricky because the the uh, the cruise ships really. You would think if you're laying out the money, mm-hmm. that then any money that comes in after expenses is yours. But that's not the way it works. They have a certain amount that they want to clear every day. Yeah. And then after you clear that, then you split the profits with them. Ooh. It's very different animal. International it's, waters. Yeah, right? yeah, it's a very different animal. But I've had a lot of great moments on these cruises, and I'm, I'm thrilled to go on for the 10th year. And I think, which is kind of a weird thing to say, after 10 years of doing it, I'm going to be 50 uh, at the end of next year. I don't want to be a 50-year-old man hosting a, sh- a rock cruise, and I may step down as the host. I think that's very possible. Huh. Yeah, I'm saying goodbye to my life. as Dude, a, Get your tickets now. Yeah, you might be the last now. time. My last time you're going to get a chance to see me. I love it. Well, yeah. could you tell us what the social underground is? I purposely didn't look it up because I wanted to hear where. Yeah, well, actually, it's partly owned by Bruce Buffer. You know, he's sure. part of the people, one of the people involved in there. And it's a website about all things dating and entertainment and like that. And they came to me. And asked me to write an article on dating because they talk about being an older single man all the time on, on SDR show. So I started just writing an article every other month about what I'm dealing with. Stupid things like dating a girl half your age, how to pick up a stripper, how to talk a girl into a threesome, all these kind of dumb things. And I write a different article once every other month. And the newest one that just came out two days ago is about how men make women think they're smarter and funnier than they are. 
because we laugh at all their dumb jokes because we want to fuck them, right? So there's a thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's how people who are mediocre at things convince themselves they're better at things because they have a delusional internal sense of grandeur. And then when you feed them, these same people, that they're great and you're laughing and you're giving them that accolade because you want to fuck them, then they think they're hilarious. And it's the the spawning of that article was, (laughs) I went on a date with this girl, first date, and she's telling me dumb joke after dumb joke and I'm not laughing. Is she a comic? She wasn't a comic. But she was thinking she was going to be getting into comedy. And... Not that I'm a comic, but I, A, I've been paid to try to be them. in entertainment and right. be engaging, and I right. hang out with all the top comics in New York. So my, and even when I was a kid, my mom booked comedy clubs. So I grew up with watching uh, Chris Rock and Seinfeld and all these people before they were famous at, at a comedy club at 10 years old. So I have a high level, a threshold. And she keeps telling me jokes, so I'm not laughing. And after the third joke, she gives me one of these and like says the punchline again. Because she thought that I, I just didn't understand it, you know. And she says, I guess you just don't get my crazy sense of humor. I said, I just don't think you're as funny as you think you are. <laughs> and it ended our date. And that was when I had this oh, realization. She said, okay, I'm She's like, well, it. fuck you. And she left. She got angry and she left. She said that? Yeah. And I think it started me to think about how that's a new thing for me, to be honest. That's good. As, yeah, it's very good. So this article was more about my, my awareness that I need to just start being a little more real as opposed to just like as a kid, I would keep uh, it's still to this day. I do have this, but I have like weed, cocaine, alcohol in my house, even though I don't do anything. Oh, you have blow hanging out in my house. I get that. dude. Yeah, Chicks like to get weird. And when right, they're on blow. exactly. So if a girl wants cocaine, I'm not going to say, oh, I don't do that. I'm like, no, here's fucking cocaine. I'm not going to do it, but here, take it. How do you know if it's good Coke? I know. I got it from someone I know it's good Coke. Okay. All right. I like your style. Yeah. I like your style. But now I'm just trying to be a little more honest. (laughs) Yeah. And if I don't think you're, like, I don't think you, how many times I tell a girl, I don't think you should have a fucking podcast. I'm sorry. I'm not giving you a show on Gas Digital. It's not happening. You know what, man? I want to be honest with you, dude. I find that that's kind of refreshing, and I think that comes... From being at an age where you just you start to realize who gives a fuck right. what anybody thinks about <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, uh, the moment you realize that life isn't high school and it's not a popularity contest, and if you have a couple honest friends, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, it's like at some point your your body overthrows the dictator, right? Because <laughs> when you're young, your dick runs everything. It just runs everything, and you are making horrible decisions based on the thought of getting pussy. Right. Right? But at some point, that's usually like late 30s, the body says, enough of these bad ideas. Let's fucking... And it's not that you don't have sex. It's just not the only thing right. that matters. But I'm still, like, if you listen to my show, I'm still notorious for dating way too young girls. I have this like, like whole methodology where I'll fly them in on a Friday. And You'll they fly, fly them in? Yeah, it's cheap. Like, I'll do, like, for instance, and I've talked Where about, are you flying them in from? So, for instance, one of the things they recommend all the time... Let's say there's this really hot girl you want to have sex with, right? And it's going to take you probably three to five dates and, and Ubers and dinners and whatever the bullshit is. There's a website called CheapCaribbean.com. And very often they will send last-minute deals where it's like $300 each to fly away for a weekend, right? And the math is simple. One of the, You tell a girl, do you want to go to that restaurant and have sushi like where every other guy asks? Or do you want to go to fucking the Bahamas this weekend? I just want to felt like we should go. You're the most baller dude I know. <laughs> and it costs you so much less in the long run. You know, just like I've done this all the time. 
get all those free stupid tickets from Jimmy Kimmel or you just have to put yourself in a lottery. You get them. And I just say this. Hey, a friend of mine hooked me up with tickets you know, uh, to Jimmy Kimmel because I work in that space. And I don't know if you want to go, we'll go. As opposed to the same restaurant that every guy's asking. Yeah. They think now, oh, man, does he know Baller. Jimmy Kimmel? Like, what the fuck? And it's all just different ways to handle the same <laughs> concepts, you know, just looking at it differently. No, I think it's great. I think it's great. I've been in a relationship forever, so I don't worry about that anymore. Yeah. It is weird when you think of the I the want to difference. fake my own death every day. I was, talk- <laughs> I was talking to a girl, and she was like, oh, I was in kindergarten when you graduated high school. Oh, it happened to you. Oh. I mean, like, I dated, I went on a date with a girl the other day that was 24, and I'm f- almost 50. Somebody sent me something about Dane Cook, and I misinterpreted it. He's dating a 19-year-old girl. He's dating a 19-year-old girl. And I thought he was, like, because the article says, what guy invites... Uh, a teenage girl to so I thought they were talking about 15, 16 because that's a big problem in this fu- town right now. And I'm like, oh, it's, and then I read the article. I'm like, she's 19. Like, it's yeah, legal. It's legal. You can't what decide do, something's legal and then be mad that you're doing it. And it's always, it makes no sense. Listen, man, it's so interesting how men and women age. Like when men get older, they, I when I was young, I used to be the weirdo sex guy. Like the like the girls would call me when they want to do weird shit sexually. Okay. I was like the cross off the list dude. Like, hey, let's go fucking the Macy's changing room. Like I had a girl call me, and then I get I come in, I drop dick, and we call the day, and we all cross something off our list. But as I got older, I I just feel the energy when they look at me is like I'm the relationship guy. Right. Well, because now you're older. Yeah, that's why you're not right. The, funky the stable guy. dude. Yeah. I got cash coming in. I'm the guy who's going to settle down. Right. And I feel like women, when they get older, they start dating these younger guys, and these younger guys are just wanting to hit it. Right. And, you know, vagina keeps you in the game. You're, it's always like a, a black MX card at some point, right? <laughs> You're always VIP. As long as you keep it together, you can always go to, into the club. But girls want a relationship when these young guys just want to hit it and quit it, right? Well, you, so you're, you're saying that you believe that as a woman gets over 30 – they're looking for younger guys to have relationships with? Well, I mean, they want dick, but they eventually my whole theory is like the pussy bones connect to the heart bone. Right. right. And eventually, right, you you catch feelings. Right. And they want to Especially for women. That's the big difference for men and women is being able to separate the physical from the mental. Yeah. Where guys are great at that. And women, dude, listen, I know I'm going to get bothered. Girls want to just fuck. I get yeah. that. But I'm saying, on average, the, that eventually... It be, like you always see, you always see these like uh, these hot teachers fucking the, these students, yeah, yeah, right? And everyone's true. like, yeah, 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 it's cool, man. And then you, but they don't follow the story, and the story always eventually gets to this teacher wants it to be a relationship, right? So right. she's banging this sixteen-year-old, and then she's like, hey, when are we gonna move in together? When am I gonna meet your parents? Why are you playing video games all day? And he's like, I'm sixteen, I'm just trying to hit that ass and call it a fucking day, right? But it's always some serious, shit, and that's what always happens. Like Sam told. I could fuck in a Macy's locker room yeah. and I got a relationship. Yeah. She wants to meet the parents. So it's all like, it's just interesting how the dynamics change as you get older. It's God's cruel joke. It's God's cruel joke. So will you uh, take Jay's advice and start dating women over 30? You know, once Jay's been really 50? pushing it. He wants me to change my Tinder and uh, Bumble profile to not be looking for girls 21 and older. He wants me to move it to 30. 
I go by what the heart wants. What the heart wants. If I don't put it, if I'm attracted to the girl, I don't even look at the they age. They want to date you. Yeah, I don't look at the age ever. I just swipe right on what I find attractive. Very often, it's a girl 35 or older. I just whatever for whatever reason, the girls that respond more are younger girls. That's what happens. I don't know. God bless daddy issues. Yeah, huh? it's all daddy issues. Yeah, My, love it. I was with this girl. I've told the story recently. With I was having sex with this girl, and she was 20. And I said to her, oh, my God, your body is incredible. And she says, yeah, I'm 20, right? Yeah. And we had this great weekend. And then she told me that, you goes, you're not going to be what happened. After, let's say, 10, 15 years, her father reached out to her. And I'm going to have dinner with him for the first time ever. And I called my brother. I'm like, well, I'm never seeing that girl again. And that's exactly what happened. She, she met her father. They made amends. She broke up with me. And we you know, not, never saw each other That's again. so interesting. <laughs> that's so – I always love when I hear young girls go, I can eat whatever I want. I gain weight. Yeah, you're 18, 19 years old. All right, exactly. Just wait, Me man. too. Until I was 35, I gave her the fuck I wanted. Yeah, and then you then you get 35, and I always tell these – I go, how old are you? They're like, oh, 32. I got, you got three more years. <laughs> three more years of doing whatever the fuck you want. I was 100 pounds lighter. 100 pounds lighter. It's crazy. I was so thin. What, at what age? Up until 33. I was like 160. I looked re- emaciated, yeah, but it. I couldn't gain weight. I would eat weight gainer shakes at night, forcing it down my throat just to keep weight on. I uh, used to be like 185, and then I had a TV show, and I didn't know what the show was going to be about. So then uh, it was basically me doing stunts, and I didn't fucking know mm-hmm. it when I got the gig. And I would get hematomas. I learned what a hematoma was. Yeah. I never knew what that was. And so I couldn't move, but I was around 35. So right when my metabolism was slowing down, so like for a month I couldn't get out of bed. <laughs> I just gained this perma fat that I never was able to no. lose. It was just this layer of fat that has been with me since. It's thank you, easy. Spike TV, you motherfuckers. <laughs> well, shit. Before we get into the uh, upcoming fight predictions, uh, I connected with one of your sponsors because I believe so much in it and what they're all about. So, oh yeah, I want, love Ralph? these guys. So you know, I'm not a big weed guy. I can just go by what the network, how it affects everyone on the network. And Smoke Honey, they have these two different ways to do it. They have dabs. You know, I mean, darts, sorry, and carts. These are one of each, right? Dabs. Sorry, darts and carts. So the the uh, cart screws in and you smoke it like you normally would. And what Lewis tells me all the time is that, A, it tastes better than anything he's ever smoked. B, it makes him feel better than he's ever, ever on anything else. And then you go to the uh, dart. And what's great about the dart, it's all at Smoked Honey everywhere, Instagram and stuff like that. You just put it on your existing stuff or you could just drop it in your mouth. And it's just a much easier way to deal with my, everyone's favorite product in the world these days, which is weed. Well, you know, and thank man, you for getting this. It's really great. I, uh, they I made love... me start trying it, by the way. I've started trying weed. Like, so do you somewhat. like it? I haven't found. I'm very mellow to begin with. Yeah. So I don't see why. It, all it does for me is it makes me catatonic. So I don't need it yet. I'm, yeah. Jay thinks I'm going to find one. That one day will speak Some to me. Some people just aren't weed people. <laughs> yeah. Doug Stanhope's like, hates weed. I'm not a slow guy. I'm a go fast guy. I want to talk about real quick because we will get in conspiracies. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry about that. We, no, never, we never got your, uh, your drug story or either of your sex stories. Oh, either. man. My sex story was uh, I, a woman named Lisa Woods took my uh, virginity. Uh, well, dude, here's a weird thing. When I was in first grade, I got my dick sucked for the first time. And, wow. And, and I ate butt. That's fucking crazy. That is, I, my who, sex addiction has been but, a but, giant but problem. Who, for me. How did that come about? Who was that with? Oh, uh, we had some sex offenders on our our street called the Gleason Sisters. They were two girls my age, 
Uh, they had a creepy stepdad. I don't know what happened there. Uh, but we were all just very socially active. So they were in first grade also? They were, yeah. So obviously they were molested and they were just doing what was done to them to you? Uh, I can't say in either theory. way. In theory. Allegedly, in theory, it could happen. But I, I was I was doing sex before I even knew what sex was. I do not remember like ever seeing sex. I just I love that you refer to it as doing yeah, sex. Yeah, I'm hoping that's the next album. Sam Tripoli doing sex. I was I was I was participating in the acts. I didn't even know what it was. I was just doing it. And then I I always talked about like I was eating ass before it was cool. Uh, you know, before it was an in thing. I before ate before the commercialism. Yeah, <laughs> before it became mainstream. Like it's now. It's like Tuesday for these kids right. now. Uh, but I did. I was, and then I remember Lisa Lisa Woods. One day was she didn't even go to my school, and I knew her briefly. And she just came up to me one day, and she goes, "We're having sex tonight." And I'm like, "What?" They're like, "Yeah, we're having it." And I was I was 17 years old, and she called me up. She's like, "Yeah." Uh, she saw me out thing. We're going, we're going to have sex tonight. And I'm like, okay. So we ended up banging and I, we, we, you know, I lost my virginity to Lisa people's in a dance party machine. Do you Hilarious. remember that show yeah. on TV? Of course. I, I was, I was creating ambiance <laughs> and I put that on. Did you wear a condom or no condom? She made me wear a condom. That's funny. That's good. Good. Cause you could have had a, a quite an old child right now. Yeah, man. You know, it is what it is. So that was the first Did you time. stay in touch with her for a while? Oh, uh, I only hit it once and quit it. But uh, I talked to Lisa at like a reunion maybe like 15 years ago. I go, you took my virginity? She's like, really? And I haven't seen her since. <laughs> and you, I, Ryan? You- I was a late bloomer. I, was, I didn't lose my V card until I was 23. Whoa. That is super late. That yep. is much late. Where you I'd like- done like every drug up to sex. So was my it, whole like, thing You were was doing like, drugs before you had sex. Oh, yeah, dude. I was doing, I was, my whole thing was like, uh, Mary Jane is my mistress, man. Oh, boy. And oh, you like, say that you, shit? Yeah. They're like, you haven't had your dick. You, <laughs> you don't know that he's also an Eagle Scout. Yeah. Uh, so really? he's very yeah. much into that. Like, I, My first concert was The Cure. I had no chance. Uh, I got emoed out. I have an older sister. I'm a you were emo, Alpha, huh? beta. We worked good together. Right. You know? That makes sense. That's you're, you're an emo? I'm the original, man. And at 23, was it a girlfriend? Was it, was it a she planned a sweet, thing? It was a sweet little Mexican girl that I found out later. She hooked up with one of my buddies. But I remember some creepy indie film was playing in the background. Mm-hmm. And so now whenever I hear that kind of like Silver Lake NPR vibe shit, I'm like... You, you I ejaculate? Yeah, a little bit. I get a little One stimulant. of the most beautiful women I ever hooked up with was... Uh, when I went to UNLV, and it's a very funny story how I got out there. My dad basically, over about a six-year period, just mentally fucking went to war on me to get me to go to school in Vegas. He was just like, he would just work me, work me, work me. You should go to Vegas, man. Vegas would be great for you. You should go to Vegas. And I was thinking about, I remember I wanted to be a comedian before I even knew what comedy was. Did he know that? Is that why he wanted you to go to Vegas? My dad was a weird dude. Like, he loved me very much. But he wasn't into the details of my life the way he was into my younger brother. I always talk about this. I need to bring this back. I am a complete overachiever in my life, even though what little I have may not be compared to some. But like I flunked first grade and I lived in my brother's shadow because my brother was like the number one high school bowler in New York State. Like he could bowl three hundreds with both hands. Like wow. he, we called him the White Bow Jackson because he would bowl and golf. He was like top shelf. So I lived in his shadow, that and is he such was a my, white version of Bo Jackson, <laughs> right? It's so white, but he was younger version of me. So I lived in my younger brother's. That's shadow. weird. Yeah, that's interesting. 
And my da- and even though my dad and my brother still this day don't get along, they fight with each other because they're so similar. But he took a lot of pride in my brother. I wanted to be fun. I, I wanted to be a comedian before I knew what a comedy was. I, I from the moment of my existence, I knew I wanted to make people. It was the only thing I was good at. And uh, so I was thinking about where should I go. And the blessing was I did go to Vegas because I was such a knucklehead out of high school. I would have burnt every bridge in New York if I'd moved to New York City or L.A. <laughs> so I went to Vegas. And I, my dad basically forced me to do it. And then because I'm Armenian, Jerry Tarkanian uh, was the coach of the UNLV Running Rebels, which was a giant basketball team at that point and so i went out there and i I realized that my dad had wanted to buy a house out there so he could fly out there and gamble and write off on taxes (laughs) the truth comes out oh yeah i knew that long time ago god bless my old man but you know so yeah so who do you guys think is going to win in this upcoming fight man it's coming up this weekend it's so interesting to me because we were talking about it all the i don't know how it actually came about i can tell you so i'd like to hear that story first and then i'll tell you my prediction so Two comics out there are constantly challenging people to fight. In the parking lot of the comedy store. It's Luis Gomez. And Ryan O'Neill in particular would always challenge either Ari and I to a fight. And he's much younger than but when us. Would Lewis, like, and when's Lewis in the comedy store that he's doing that? He's not no, no, that. no. He would be on Twitter. He would oh, be like, okay. hey, dude, you, you know, he'd always be. And I got to tell you, man, I, I want to say this earlier, but I have a lot of love and respect for Luis Gomez. Jay. Yes, Luis J. Gomez. Luis J. Gomez. That's true. That's true. I have a lot of respect for him, especially when I went out and I watched this last Skank Fest, how much shit he gets from everybody and how he just rolls with it. Oh, yeah. 99% of the people would flame out, quit the show, not want to do it anymore. But I realize what he is, and he's very much the Vince McMahon of podcasting. Like, he's very smart. He's always trying to do big things that get a lot of people's attention. And I watched it happen, you know, as they were going to do the roast. Ari walks up and he's telling him to get on scale. And then he pees in a cup and he just throws it on Ari. (laughs) Which Ari had a bad week. And everybody used (laughs) Ari's tricks against Ari, (laughs) which was a lot of fun. Uh, By the way. Ari's love in New York. I didn't realize how much he's loved in there. Like, he is now a New York City comic. Oh, yeah. He's absolutely loved. Oh, he's huge. He's like royalty out yeah. there. I didn't realize. Every time he walked out, people would go nuts. Um, so so they, they're both challenging each other, all the people, they're, all the they're time. They're always all the time. And then um, who did he challenge? He challenged Ari. Who did? Uh, Luis Gomez. Again, challenged Ari to a fight. On Twitter. And everybody said, Sam's fighting Lewis, uh, fighting uh, uh, Ari. And I go, you know the real fight is? And I tweeted Ellis. I go, the real fight is Luis J. Gomez versus Ryan O'Neal. Because they always want to fight. And then it just, I didn't expect that. And it just took Are off. Are you fighting Ari? No, I constantly want to fight Ari. Okay. I fought Ari at the uh, Skank Fest. You fought, fought. You just sneak attacked him. Oh, sneak him. But not, not like an actual... This is the am I right that this is the first like actual fight that is like going to be a planned fight by two comics? Well, a long time ago, uh, Michael Faverman used to have comedy boxing with uh, Russell Peters, but this is the first time. I I mean, I've done Alice Mania before. Mm -hmm. It was it's so much fun. Uh, They're going to get hooked on walking out as people (laughs) are cheering them on. It is such a fucking rush. And I didn't realize it until I did it. They're like, okay, bring them out. And the people are like... (sighs) Does Ellis Mania do a comedy fight every year? They always... Well, I mean, Ellis is kind of like... He's like an MMA guy, right? And he's like, in a weird way, the Howard Stern of the West Coast. Right, for sure. I understand what I'm saying, but... 
I don't know how many of these Ellis Manias there's been. This has been number 10. Number 10. Wow. Okay, so is it a standard thing that there's a com- comedians fighting at Ellis Mania? Not necessarily no, comedians, but they're crazy fights. They're always yeah. weird ones. They're like, like people who have drama with each other. Like Mike Catherwood's done it. Uh, Mike Tully, his sidekick, has done a bunch of fights. I did it. I've been trying to fight Ari on this on this thing forever, and he just always finds a way out. Then uses his Jew magic to fucking <laughs> do have a lot propaganda of magic. to get it. So I get, I'm the guy who's listening out every fucking time. That's great. So uh, yeah, I'm basically the guy who got this fucking. That's cool. Going. I didn't realize it was you that really kind of made this happen. That's and I was cool. really excited that it happened. Now I'm just I pray that nobody gets too hurt. That's yeah. my only thing. Are you all going? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I got to watch on paper. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going out because I'm here till Friday, and then I'm flying out for the weekend. I there. love it, dude. Yeah, I think it's going to be wild. I think this is. I don't know anything about Ryan. I just know the what I've seen on the the pictures and the the, the way in, and that's about it. I don't know his show or anything, so I'm basing it solely on very little knowledge. Ryan O'Neill and Jeff Danis are two of the funniest people I know. They are. For some reason, underrated. I don't know why it's never. And their podcast now is starting to blow up. And I love that they came. You know, they came and did skanks. And that, to me, makes them super cool dudes without knowing them. They are them. both nice, really The fact cool that guys. they came on, they went into the lion's den. Yeah. That makes you the coolest guys in the world, you know? So I think my prediction is if it happens, if it ends in round one, it's because of Lewis. <laughs> Lewis will win round one. If it goes longer, then I worry. But I think it's a good chance it'll end round one with Lewis taking him down. I think that's a, a great take, and there is something to that. I I think Lewis is in trouble just because Ryan O'Neal has a black belt in Taekwondo, and I knew he took a, a day off. But I used to have martial arts, and there are some basic things that stay with you your whole life when you've learned it as a kid. Right. You just know how to punch, and you know you know how to kick. And I know that Ryan has been doing a lot. I. I think Luis Gomez's best bet is to get it done in the first. Yeah, round. and that's what I think. I think he's going in with the intention that every everybody has everyone that famous line. Everyone has a puncher's chance. Yes. You know? and I think he walks around as the bigger dude normally, and he's the one that had to drop the weight to get here. And I think he just ha- he's just a bigger framed guy. He's been looking good, dude. Yeah, he looks he's good. He's been looking good. Yeah. I uh, I've seen pictures of him again. I just. I just hope they don't get hurt. Like, I don't want either bad. one to get hurt. I'd love it to happen where it ends in a weird, ridiculous way. I don't know what that way is, but something great. Where I don't want to see anyone. Get, I don't. Just don't want to see anybody get hurt. I don't. I love watching UFC, but I don't know the guys. So. Have you uh, watched any uh, clips of Jason Ellis? Um, can you go on YouTube and look up Sam Triple at Jason Ellis? Get pulled off. I'll okay, try. that's true. That's true. Um, anyways. So, uh, you guys gonna bet on bet DSI? I will make a. I made a bet. I want both of them to do well. So it's like it's hard (laughs) for me to bet on this. It's like why I can't bet on my Raiders. I just (laughs) I just want them to win so bad, and I don't want to emotionally deal with it if they don't. Um, But what you said, by the way, in 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 essence, to to Lewis's uh, his moxie, so to speak, the way this has turned into what it's turned into is because of his salesmanship. For sure, there's no one better than him. Like the reason why we work so well together at Gas Digital, just like the reason you guys work together, we have different skill sets. I'm much more the like OCD, make sure everything works right, figure out how to do things. I love that part of it. I don't want to go on Instagram and say, "Hey, everybody, look what's happening." I just hate doing that. Yeah. Why well, I have fucking five thousand Instagram followers? I don't give a shit. 
I'd rather those people listen to the show, and I don't want to be that guy. I've never been that guy. Lewis is that guy. So we make a great partnership because he's sure. the salesman, the publicist. He's the guy that's like, no one would know Gas Digital if it was just me doing it. We could have all the same shows and all the same success, but it's be, where it is where people look at Gas Digital or something is because no one's better than him at promotion. He, yeah. he is wonderful. I, I don't think he gets enough respect for that and like how much that stuff has grown and you know he's shooting his own special and i i see big things i see big money for this guy and you too because of his ability to like he basically uses everybody uses their style not uses them but uses this kind of game plan that you've seen a lot of people who blow up off they just do outrageous shit to get seen and that is not he's my always, style not, like, he's always online like i guarantee you if you go on instagram right now he did a live stream within the last hour you know there's no way he didn't and it's dude that's that's what you should do the opportunity these days that's what you have to do these are the opportunities available through the internet man yeah i always tell sam i mean we talk conspiracies on the show everything crazy you guys talk about sex and drugs but at the end of the day we're inspiring people to just believe in themselves be passionate about right. whatever and go for it because look at it, if I, I was to not believe in myself which i never did until sam did we wouldn't be doing this. Yeah, I We're agree We're building with that. shit. Yeah, it's, it's amazing is that I get so many emails from people that I've inspired them to start a podcast or to start a network or just – I because my answer to everybody is just start it. There's no barrier to entry anymore. Just get out there and start doing your show. I'd love to hear a conspiracy theory, Let's too. Do We're it. 40 minutes in, and we Let's haven't talked about it. it. We're going to go for it. So since you're not into conspiracies, I wanted to get ones that were 100% proven true. And a lot of times we get shit that we're just disinformationists. So here you go. Uh, all in the name of science. This one's called Project Sunshine. A project commissioned by the U.S. Atomic Energy Committee and the U.S. Air Force in the 1950s designed to investigate the effects of nuclear radiation on humans and the environment. So they did what was necessary. Quote, Dr. Willard Libby, one of the scientists on the project, Human samples are of prime importance, and if anybody knows a good job of body snatching, there will be really good help in saving the country. So they went on their way. The federal government then went about body snatching, and it took place in secret. Uh, this is all for, you know, for years and years. Yeah. Like, this didn't happen. This didn't happen. Um, the federal government established a worldwide network and secretly collected tissue samples from more than 900 human cadavers. Oh, my God. But were they with, with any sort of radiation poisoning or just random? So they would randomly collect cadavers and even half cadavers of the young. See, they needed corpses to be of really good tissue. Mm -hmm. So babies and young children that recently deceased without their permission to the parents and without written notification. Dude, that's crazy. They would snatch the babies and they would be burying an empty, empty casket. casket or half a casket and the legs had been chopped oh, off. Wow, that's God. so cool. That's so great. Have you guys watched the Frankenstein Murders? I think it's on Netflix. Mm. And it's basically, it's a drama. But it's basically how these scientists would pay these like low-level street people to get them like pristine, I don't know what the fuck, pristine bodies. And probably it was based off this whole thing. Like they would kidnap a girl, throw her in like the salt mines, and she would breathe in the salt and die. And then they would sell them, and this is the show, sell them to scientists. So it just, I mean, un would they make deals with the morgues? 
So it went across this. Uh, the files leaked online stated that 15 years in hospitals in Britain, America, Canada, South America, Australia, Hong Kong gave 6,000 bodies. And it came from Royal Cancel Hospital in London. We're talking like Middlesex Hospital in central Glasgow. These are all places that are 100% known to do it. Uh, this was all just suspected until uh, in 1994. The body snatching uh, was made actual real by President Clinton, formed an advisory committee to investigate these government secrets. And they released a 900-page report that acknowledged it and it's full-on called Project Sunshine. You know, it's so interesting. It's a nice name for it. It's so Pro- pretty. That's what they always do, yeah. dude. That's what they always do. The Patriot Act, yeah. you know? And then it's just like, we're going to spy on you. There's nothing Patriot <laughs> about it. Uh, what's very interesting about the story is how, like, we've been drilled into our minds that scientists and doctors are good people. They're just trying to get better. And then you realize that, like, so much of science advancement has been done at the expense of poor people and just all this darkness going on. Like, I want to talk about, like, this whole thing where, like, we constantly raise money to, to uh, find a cure for cancer when really the cure is telling these corporations to stop putting this cancer stuff into our foods, into our drinks, into our air that we breathe. And like more people than ever are getting lung cancer than never smoked. My friend's mom just passed away. She went like this and she had lung cancer, never smoked. Yeah. They just did a study that released that. I think it's something like 90% of all food grown in America has this certain, GMOs and yeah. stuff. Yeah, and they're like Monsanto's. Like, yeah, this is cancer. Well, it's also why, like in a, in a looser comparison, you you eat the same food in America that you could eat in England or London or Italy. You don't gain the weight. You don't feel as sick out there because there's none of the preservatives and GMOs there than there is here. It's all because of government funding of science. You learn how much stuff that's been taught to us that is supposedly healthy, but it was only deemed healthy because the government got kickbacks to push these different foods. To be healthy for you, like cereal. Yeah. Cereal was Kellogg's was a big supplier of of the money to the government. That's why they said that cereal is good for you. Let's be honest. How many people thought Snapple was healthy because <laughs> it had apple in it? <laughs> Anybody else? I did. I was thinking, oh, it's got apple. It's got to be good but for in, you. And the thing that you just said about the, the scientists and the bodies. Uh, did you see the new um, documentary called? Uh, three identical strangers. No, I keep on hearing about this. So I just watched it, and it's fascinating because it's it's another example of scientists doing something really fucked up. Where if there were twins or triplets in um, homes like orphan orphanages, they would intentionally split them up and put them in different homes to see if it's nature or nurture. Mm-hmm. And they were following their lives and coming to their houses as infants and filming them. And checking how they're good in sports or what type of women they liked or men that they liked and sit if it, to try and do an analysis if it was um, nature or nurture. And what happened is a lot of these kids, these little babies, had separation anxiety from their identical twin. And a lot of them committed suicide. A lot of them had mental problems because they lost their, their other, their significant other. And they, they said that um, these babies, these, three, these triplets, when they were in cribs, would bang their heads against the crib until they knocked themselves out, all three of them separately, because they missed the other two and they didn't know how to react to it. It's fascinating. It's all and it was all scientific grants. And they've got studies where they found these two brothers, twins, separated in life, and then they end up finding each other, and their lives were exactly the same. They became firefighters. They married women with the exact same name. It's like all this crazy ass shit. Well, what about you? 
I have a brother, but we don't. We're fraternal twins. We're not. We're not identical twins. He's five seven. I'm six five. Oh, you're we, literally we the movie be. twins. Yeah, we're literally the movie twins. We so who's be in first? A, who's I am? It's a really weird story. I'm four minutes earlier, right? But I was born <coughs> New Year's Eve, nineteen sixty nine, at eleven fifty eight p.m. He was born four minutes later, which put him in a different day, a different year, a different decade. I was born in the sixties. He was born in the seventies. Oh my god! Yeah. And then, as we were, when we were born, the doctor had the wherewithal to say to my family, "They're going to be in separate grades. It's probably not a good idea. Let's lie and say that he was born at eleven fifty nine p.m." And my dad also, because we are Jewish, he got the tax deduction for the child support <laughs> and for the child, you know, the dependent, and made it that we were both born in sixty nine. But it's not true. Shit. Well, this kind of leads into uh, That's this one's so from this- interesting. <clears throat> when did they tell you that? I always knew. I always knew growing up. Yeah. As like a, a four month old, they had to break it to you. Yeah. Don't <laughs> tell your very brother. Very upset about it. Yeah. yeah. So as you said, you're Jewish. So you're not. Uh, you wouldn't know anything about the Dalai Lama by chance, would I'm you? I'm very bad with anything religion, but let's hear it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you're not. Pra- are you practicing? Nothing. Nothing. I don't believe in religion in general. Yeah. Yeah, me too. So uh, the Dalai Lama is the designated spiritual leader of the Tibetan people. Those carrying the title are generally seen as embodying the tenets of Buddhism, which is inner peace, enlightenment, and virtuousness. After fleeing the Chinese invasion of Tibet in 1959, however, (laughs) uh, the 14th Dalai Lama that we know of, his name is Tenzin Gyatso. It would be so cool if his name was Steve, but okay. (laughs) So uh, CIA documents published by the State Department in 1998 revealed that during the 1960s and 70s, the 14th and current Dalai Lama, along with other prominent Tibetan figures, were funneled millions of dollars by the CIA. That is unbelievable. Controlled opposition, dude. Think about they it. Always do that. They're so smart, man. Enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's our that is amazing. That's so cool that that happened. That's mm-hmm. so smart. That's so. I mean, dude, the CIA always does that. That's the whole thing about Alex Jones. They're talking about this. This guy got deplatformed by everything. He's never been bigger. Everybody's going to his app, watching his videos more, and more, and more. It's such a crazy thing. Do you think they did? It was done on purpose to make him bigger. That's what they're saying, dude. That's the whole thing. That his he admits. But why would Instagram? His, his family's worked in the CIA. He openly oh, okay. admits that. But it's just weird that why would who was who blocked him? Twitter blocked him, right? <laughs> Twitter YouTube. and YouTube and Facebook. Facebook. Okay, that's great. But his app is still available on the iPhone. Yeah, that's funny. That's it's great. interesting, dude. If you really wanted to wipe that dude off, why would he still be having his... Yeah, and you, I have nothing you'd, you'd against that. you pull the app out of the store. We're I doing an Austin show. I'd love for him. I think Eddie's going to try to get him on the show. So God, uh, that'd It's just cool. bizarre to me that we live in a time now where we're supposedly free speech, unless it's free speech I don't agree with, which makes no sense. You should... Anybody can... I don't care if you're a racist. I'm just not going to listen to you. I don't care if you're whatever. It's just a weird time that we live in. Uh, well, so you know, you have these liberals who are very young... You know, like, and I'm a liberal. I'm liberal. I'm open-minded to everybody living their life. As long as you're not hurting kids or other people, you do you, man, you know. Uh, but they don't remember that when oh, we talked about this only a couple years ago, it was like censorship of uh, interracial dating, certain swear words on the, you know, and all that stuff. <coughs> they don't remember that. And they don't, they're going to realize later on because now they've been talking about how Facebook's going to go after Jimmy Dore. You know, and he's a he's a super liberal, and now they're going to get rid of him. Anybody who questions the status quo so weird. is going to get wiped out, and these kids don't care because they think free speech is only about things they like to hear, and it's actually about the worst of the worst. That's what it, it that. should be. But related to the to the Dalai <laughs> Lama, I was briefly dating this girl. And I'd love to get her take on this because all she does is study Tibetan culture. She speaks fluent whatever language that is that she translates. 
she's a white girl that was Sanskrit. obsessed. Yeah, and she just translates it all over, and she's like a leading authority. She, she was given a grant to go do some of this in Tibet. So I'd love to get her take. Yeah, on because it. the funding was part of a concerted effort by the U.S. intelligence to undermine the communist China and the global communist presence by propping up Tibetan guerrillas in their fight against the communist state. So according to the report, the CIA funded approximately 2,100 Tibetan guerrillas with $500,000 annually and gave the Dalai Lama specifically 180000 every year. Wow. I love uh, it. So in, uh, the funding ended in the early 70s. Nixon cut that shit off because, you know, he was not down to anything fun <laughs> Well, he's cool. also was attempting, you know, Nixon was the first to go to Canada. I mean, uh, to China. He's the first president. First to go to Canada, that'd be pretty amazing. <laughs> so uh, the official CIA report stated the purpose of the program was to keep political concept of autonomous Tibetan alive with Tibet and among the foreign nations, principally India, to build a capable resistance against possible political developments inside communist China. Sam's about to die, by the way. Yeah, he is. So the Dalai Lama wrote about this in his autobiography. So this isn't just like suspected. He uh, saw the cutting off of the funding as a reflection of their anti-communist policies rather than genuine support for the restoration of the Tibetan independence. Well, you know what's weird, though? So far, both of these stories, I was expecting to hear stories. I'm like, they, they were going to be way more out there. Both of these, I, I 100% believe to be, even if you didn't tell me they were true, mm-hmm. I would believe these stories. How about the first woman president? Well, let's hear it. In 1919, on October 2nd, Woodrow Wilson suffered a stroke, and it uh, rendered him incapable of governing. We never found out about this until 1921. Mm -hmm. That means for over two years, Edith, the first lady, decided the matter is important enough to bring to Woodrow's attention. Are you serious? Essentially For two years? Yep. Because Woodrow never technically resigned, the vice president at the time, Thomas Marshall, could not take over, and Wilson instead decided his his wife to govern for him. All right? What's crazy is we didn't know about this shit until February uh, 1920 or so. What was her name? Edith? Edith. Edith Woodward. People like us, the real crazy tinfoil hat wearers, believe this is when the true deep state took over the government in 1919. When she became... Uh, because now we have a true puppet. Right. And Who, we're not letting women make the decisions. Oh, yeah. You have somebody that isn't elected. Right. And she doesn't even know what she's doing. And mm-hmm. she's... So just some guys whispering in your ear. And then, oh, by the way, this is what Bill Burr lit Sarah Tiana up for on the End of the World podcast. When she's like, Michelle Obama should run for president. You're like, why? She's the first lady. It's like, so what? That's like, <laughs> It makes he, no sense. Yeah. yeah. I just women I saw love that, that clip. Shit. That was a great clip. Yeah. Yeah, women love it. It's like when, uh, what's his name, Uh, Paul McCartney's wife was playing keyboards, and she's so bad at it that they actually put color codes on the keyboard so she could (laughs) tell which ones to play. It's just so ridiculous. So, So, I mean, this is the idea that we've had multiple market crashes, right? But we only talk about the main one, 1929. Uh, This happened in October of 1919. In November, a crash happened. That led to the recession that calls what we call now the Roaring Twenties. Mm-hmm. So the idea is a regime change could have happened, could have, and now everything switched over. And us conspiracy theorists are thinking that stuff happened in the '60s when really it happened in 1990. That is the most interest. That's one of the most interesting things I've heard on this show. And I could see that being a woman that is being super, especially then a woman's role was so much more submissive than it is now mm-hmm. that she would be talked into just about anything. Yeah. Right? So crazy. Now, 
I got this one for you because it involves business. And since you're a businessman, I think you'd enjoy this. I try this. to be. All right. So in 1933, a group of wealthy businessmen that allegedly included the heads of Chase Bank, GM, Goodyear, Standard Oil, the DuPont family, Remington, the Rockefellers, Morgans, and of course, Senator Prescott Bush. These guys all came together and tried to recruit Marine Corps Major General Smudley Butler. Wow. Smudley? That's a great name. Is that his mm-hmm. first name? His name is Smudley. That's a name that's died. Smedley. Smedley. Either Smedley? Way. Either way. So to lead a military coup against President FDR and install a fascist dictatorship in the United really? States. Really? That's fucking amazing. So uh, Smudler Butler was uh, both a patriot and a vocal Roosevelt supporter, and he actively stumped for FDR in 32. So he's like, you guys approached the wrong dude. That is so funny. uh, Smedley spilled the beans to a congressional committee in 1934. Everyone he accused of being a conspirator vehemently denied, (coughs) and none of them were brought up on criminal charges. Ever. <clears throat> but the House McCormick Dickestein Committee, this is those two guys that brought this committee together, they acknowledged the existence of this conspiracy, which ended up never getting past the initial planning stages. So if they would have approached a different uh, general, they might have had a shot of it actually happening. Overtaking. And so in their final report, the Congressional Committee reported that his uh, allegations of the existence was true, but no persecutions or further investigations were followed. So <clears throat> what's crazy about – he was a, a 30-year uh, Marine Corps general, and uh, he is the guy that is quoted for saying war is a racket. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, dude. Now, He's I wanted, famous for that. But why do you think that they didn't do their research and saw that he was a staunch supporter of FDR and went to him as opposed to someone else? They've, made, they've just made the wrong choice. They probably think who is somebody that's close enough to him that Maybe. FDR will trust – and that can, we yeah, could bribe can. with as life-changing fuck you money. Right. And he just like, <clears throat> I mean, like, dude, let's look at the baby boomers versus, okay. The, the, my grandparents' generation is called the greatest generation of all time. The great, they fought World War II. You know, we got sold a bill of goods that they stopped the Nazis when it was really Russia. You, you actually do some studies. We didn't even go into Europe. We went more around Europe. Um, but then the next generation, the baby boomers, there's an argument that they're the worst generation ever. The amount of selling out that that generation has fucking done. That generation this guy's from, he was fucking had integrity. This, the next generation was just like, fuck it, dude. Whatever. Straight cash, homie. You know? <laughs> Check out this speech. This is straight up uh, delivered in 1933. It sounds like it was delivered yesterday. War is a racket. A racket is best described, I believe, as something that is not what it seems to the majority of people. Only a small inside group knows what it is about. It is conducted for the benefit of a very few at the expense of the masses. All right. I believe in an, inad- an adequate defense of a coastline and nothing else. If a nation comes here to fight, we'll fight. The trouble with America is that when the dollar earns only 6% over here, then it gets restless and goes overseas to get 100%. Yeah. Wow. That yeah. is... When did this guy say this? 33. Wait, Yesterday? Dude, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> then the flag follows the dollar and the soldiers follow the flag. Yep. I wouldn't go to uh, war again as I have done to protect some lousy investment of the bankers. There are only two things we should fight for. One is the defense of our homes and the other is the Bill of Rights. War, for any other reason, is simply a racket. Dude, the most wisest word. And dude. I mean, it's so honestly. But it's also not. Wasn't Trump. I mean, like, I don't want to get off on tangent. But his whole thing was bring everybody home. And it's still. It had, nothing has really started yet. But that is 
could not be true or just keep everybody here, I think it would improve our economy immensely as well. Well, you know, we have an episode coming out after this, which we break down China. And uh, I think you could see them starting to pull people back and getting ready to gear up for a big war with fucking China, dude. And uh, yeah, Trump, you remember Trump's like, we're going to pull out Syria two days later, the bombing Syria. Uh, We have our theories on Trump here. I think there's something deeper going on. I'm not saying he's a white hat guy, uh, but I'm saying that there is definitely some friction, 100% friction between him and the intelligence communities, mostly because they wiretapped him and tried to find something to get him kicked out after he was elected to uh, president. Uh, That's the FISA stuff. That's all the stuff's coming out. So there's definitely something going on. And I think... He wants to pull out people. I know that he keeps selling everybody arms. My hope and my belief is that he's playing a long game, that if you keep the military-industrial complex happy with the arms and all that stuff, you can get shit done here and then deal with that shit later on. That's my hope. Can I ask a question? Because you both seem to agree a lot on most of these uh, viewpoints so far, these things. Is there a conspiracy theory on the show, like a major one, where you're 180s? On this, on the concept. Right now, it's uh, Islam. And and what what's the the argument here? Like what's he? he, uh, he I don't want to put words into his mouth, but the the basis of what Islam represents. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's more of a it's a war religion, and my whole thing is that uh, we we are bombing everybody. I, I we can't really. You know we're we're fucking everybody up. So I mean that's pretty much I think the only thing, right? Yeah, I mean there's a couple of things Sam's told me I can never say into a mic, but that's also because I come <laughs> from like an anarchist way of like my only way of dealing with thing is to basically burn shit to the ground. So mm-hmm. which led me to Sam to begin with. But uh, I thought I'd leave us on something a little fun. So, but, but would you agree that that's pretty much it? I mean, it's probably the only thing that we've ever. Disagree, disagree to the point where it's not even disagree. I just don't think that we've ever communicated well enough. I feel like we're on the same page, but we're just different paragraphs. For this show, man, I don't know if you've ever um, heard of like Coast to Coast and Art Bell and all those guys. But they, were, they were very famous. And if you listen to uh, – and I, I was doing this before I even ever listened to Art Bell in terms of the show. Um, on this show, we just assume when somebody comes in and talks conspiracies for this hour – Whatever they're saying for this hour is true. So we're just going to hear what you have to right. say. It makes sense. Not makes a sense. real combative, like, no, nah, fuck right. you. Right. No, boom, no, boom, no. It makes sense. Let them have their platform. Yeah, because, like, conspiracy theorists are almost like stray dogs. We like right. fucking, we're, uh, uh, everybody's going to. So, and that's a big point of why we call the show Tinfoil Hat is because it's kind of like the NWA of uh, just names taking the name back. My goal is someday that when you put tinfoil hat up, the podcast will be the first thing do, that do comes. Do you in. sell tinfoil hats with your logo on? No, it? we should though. <laughs> we should. I, I dude, there's a lot of business stuff we got to do. Things are starting to finally click and start moving uh-huh. now, so that will be what we're all. You about. really should do that. That'd be cool. And we're, we're a real pirate ship. It just me and Sam here. That's why. <laughs> yeah. I was saying off air that we should talk about guest oh. digital taking your. Uh, Commercials and stuff. We would love I mean, to I'm it. open-minded to uh, anybody who wants to sell anything. I just we need cash. I, know, I love guy, how you guys have ball wash. You guys got everything I love. You got chewable boner pills. Yeah, yeah. You got ball wash. Yeah. Dude, like, like that's the weird shit we need. Like mm-hmm. the weirdest of weird. We'll chew the boner pills and we'll wear I'll chew spa- boner we'll wear pills yoga all pants. Chew, I'll come chew the boner pills and then wash each other's balls. Yeah, I'm <laughs> in. So this leads us perfect into, despite being one of the strongest proponents of the LGBT community today. Canada's history isn't as clean as one would think. 
In the 1960s, the Canadian government hired a university professor to create gaydar. <laughs> Love it. Yep. It's called the fruit machine. That is awesome. Professor Frank Robert Wake of Carleton University went about by forcing his subjects to look at same-sex erotic imagery while he measured pupil dilation, perspiration levels, and changes in pulse to gauge just how fruity they were. It wasn't part of some benign effort to understand human sexuality. It was a sick bit of McCarthyism that bled into a state goal of getting any gay men out of the country's government positions. Wow, that's amazing. That's really amazing. More than 400 people lost their jobs. Really? Hold on. So 400 people that they said, oh, you're gay, you're gone? 400 people lost their jobs. The program was a part of a long-term effort to remove homosexuals from positions of civil service. And in the late 1960s, funding was cut off. But not before the Royal Canadian Mounted Police collected 9,000 files on suspected homosexuals. It's so interesting when you hear this shit, man. It really, it, you, know, it's, you know that it's always part of our history, but you, when you hear things like that, it's really wild. It just, and then you wonder why people would choose it. You know, hey, man, why you choose to be gay? Like, why would you choose yeah, who was true? The, 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 the simplest answer to that always is, why would you choose the most difficult path yeah. You know, who would do that? It's so much easier to just, like, even pedophiles, you know, you, they can't uh, help it. Yeah. If they could help uh, it, they would turn it off. Yeah. They still need their asses kicked. I, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that because I think that there should just be a, something, chemical castration or something. Well, uh, if, if you come out and go, I'm a pedophile before you do anything and we deal with it so you don't, but when you act on that, and when you know you, it's wrong. I understand. Yes, that's the problem. You're just fucking with people's yeah, lives. I understand that. I, I agree. hear where you're going, though, Ralph. Either we should we should be able to get to a point where we talk about it. Because once we make something taboo, we can't talk about it. Right. I'll talk thing. about I'm just well, like, yeah, I dude, you, you literally fuck somebody's But there's life something off. wrong with that guy's brain, and it's not intentional. You know, that's the thing that's weird about that. Because that, in this, not, in a, in, I'm not comparing, say, pedophiles and gay people are the same. But I'm saying is that... You have something that's not what's considered the norm or considered the mainstream, and how you how society deals with it fucks you up in that. If they could just go somewhere and it was more of a welcome thing to help them with treatment, we wouldn't have this crazy. I, I, I understand what you're saying. Like, you know, they took yeah, away wiring. They took away um, uh, death penalty for for pedophiles because they were killing the children so because they wouldn't want them to talk right they had to remove that from it to let the kids live and i get that a friend of mine works for homeland security and i've heard he works in the pedophile i get it dude and there is an argument that you have but we have to figure this out because people i mean like i get people in la think i'm crazy man because i'm basically like this pedo gate shit's real it's really going on and it's like a lot of this shit is dark art stuff where they get an adrenaline rush. From, they get these kids' bloods that they they get them so scared. They get them and they yeah, fucking, that's it. Like Nambla and all that stuff. That's horrible, right? right? What I'm saying is that there are genuine people that just have some fucking well, wiring issues. You know, it's like Mark Maron's one of his most classic bits he ever did about why they passed the law at age consent because everybody wanted to fuck sixteen year olds. <laughs> right, right, right. They're like, hey, man, we got all these laws, but you can't fuck my sixteen year old. Okay, yeah. So there's a natural to that, but we've created. Listen, man. I get what you're saying, but I also think that kids just get fucked. Yeah, I mean, it's horrible. I it's like that. rape happens, dude. There is a thing that people want to rape people, but we have to, 
you know, we have to say no because you're ruining people's lives. I understand all that. I agree with that. I, I understand, understand where you're coming yeah. from. It is a weird thing where it's like I feel for these guys because they have bad wiring, but they're fucking kids up, so let's curb stuff. And this is where it starts. We just we open the door, and then you guys continue it in your own conversations. Right. From there right, on, right? Yeah, yeah. And as everyone's favorite time, well, you guys are new. Don't be an idiot. Hey, hey, Ron. Well, you better be sick, dead, or mute. A.A. Ron. You done messed up, A.A. Ron. You filthy animal. Aaron, thoughts? Well, first off, I want to start by saying uh, Blink-182. Okay. Uh, first concert. Uh, an edible I got at a Sam Tripoli show. <laughs> that was the first time you did drugs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I feel so good. I'm like your Lisa Woods. And yeah. a girl I met on MySpace. Yeah. Was the first? Okay, Wait, you're younger. Because <laughs> he's got to be young. Yeah, I'm younger. How, how old were you when you lost your virginity? Uh... Uh-oh. I think I was like Ryan, 23. Wow. wow. It's always white Michael guys. Jordan. The most white common guys age. always overthink chicks. All right, Aaron, yeah. who's going to win the fight? Who's going to win the fight? Luis J. Gomez or Ryan O'Neill? <sighs> I mean, I haven't paid attention as much as you guys have. Um, I mean, Luis is obviously a bigger dude, but I think, I mean, Ryan strikes me as a crazier dude. My, my, like only, my last thing I'm going to say about it is that I feel that Luis has more to lose. Meaning that... If he loses, he has right, to blow sort of, Big J. Oh, besides that. I just mean... <laughs> besides that. I mean, in general, the concept of Lewis losing, where his whole persona is based on this larger-than-life guy that's like the real-ass dude and the, the doggy, whatever the fuck it is, <laughs> um, he has much more to lose. Lewis's all, his help is to get in the inside and not allow Ryan to strike. If he sits on the outside, Ryan's going to pick him up. I think he's going in kick. to knock him out the first round. That's what I think. He's going in like an animal right away. That's yeah, it has to. It has to go down quick for Lewis to yeah. win. And that's our show, Ralph. It's always hey, a man. pleasure. Thank you man. so much, guys. So Thank much, you for Ralph. having it's me. It's a pleasure. Congratulations on all your success. Tell You're everyone a wonderful they can guy. find you. Yeah, follow me everywhere at I am Ralph Sutton. And then the SDR show is always in like the top forty of iTunes comedy. Hell and yeah. I appreciate all the support for everybody. And follow the SDR show as well. And that's about it. Thank you, guys. Thank so, you, so. boss. Take care, everybody. That was fun, guys. Okay.